Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on January the 18th, 2015. You know, you've got to really admire the power that goes into managing us all. This power, this uh, consortium, let's put it that way, this consortium of internationalists with all their agencies, even own governments, of course. Uh, they're private at the top, of course, but they, they do own governments, they own continents, they own the economies of countries, they own the banking systems of countries, the currencies of currencies, countries, they own the military-industrial complex, and they set forth the agenda. There are thousands of think tanks working on each part of the agenda, right down to the minutiae to do with uh, individuals and what group or cluster you fit into, your friends, etc., why you do, etc., and, and how they manage all of us, basically. Uh, they know when they put out a new idea that's going to rip you off or whatever it happens to be, again, the public, they know how many will respond, who will just stay asleep to it, not bother, and the ones who will argue about it and complain. So everything's minutely managed, and that's, the, uh, that's the, what happens when you live through an incredible agenda. Uh, and we never get a break, really. When you think you're getting a break, be careful, because so much is going on behind the scenes in preparation for the next big bash on the head that we all get. And uh, there's always many reasons, that they, many benefits that they get out of one, say, one particular thing, for instance. As an example, we can use the, the slump in oil prices right now. Now, it's not really a slump in oil prices, as we know. Uh, there's, there's big companies there that aren't losing a penny, I guarantee you. It'll be paid by the taxpayer any losses they say that they're incurring during this geopolitical strategy as they lower the prices of gasoline. If you notice oil itself in the stores, if you buy oil for your vehicles and so on, it isn't dropping at all, neither is heating oil, things like that. So this is a managed strategy to that really is very, very, very incredibly reminiscent when you read the Rockefellers and so on, of the oil wars back in the early 1900s, right through the 1920s and so on, as they, as they put all the competitors in what they call the well cats under. Uh, everyone, for instance, goes to the bank to borrow money for, and to invest and to build up their companies. And they, they basically set their prices for selling that the old well cat guys did, and present oil fields too, on making X amount of money. But the fracker is doing it today too. And just like the 20s or 1910, uh, they're going under dramatically because they expected a certain return to pay back their debts as they were, as they were paying it off. Uh, and eventually they'd hope to be, to be winners, of course. That's not going to happen with lots of them because just like the Rockefellers, they've been taken over by the big oil companies today for peanuts or bankruptcy sales, basically. And so you have one giant monopoly owning all the gas, uh, and all the, the oil, etc., uh, down the road. Not too far off, actually. Not just in the con- your country, but across the world, because these oil companies are international, as you know. And they have the power of the, their bought and paid governments behind them, who all go off and conquer other countries to grab the oil fields. They've done that for years and years now. And we've all lived through it and watched it happen. But it hasn't stopped yet. They're putting under Venezuela right now. They're having some riots in the streets to do with uh, the shortages of everything because they also um, have a big debt to pay back to different bankers and they, they, they have, um, they were expecting certain returns. When the bottom falls at the market, uh, they can't uh, get those, that kind of profit back to pay off the interest on debts and so on, and down they go. That's how it works. It's very simple. Economic war is an incredibly powerful, powerful instrument, been used many times, and uh, and doing that, it's not just to do with big profit and taking over as a complete monopoly. That's part of it, because they have to have total monopoly over your food, water, uh, all energy, etc., etc. But they also want to alter the way of living, your way of living. And believe you me, when they set all prices back to where they were, it won't be to where they were, it'll be a way over where they, where they were within a whole bunch of new laws too, social laws and tax laws, etc., to do with you, to bring you into austerity, according to how much energy you're using just to live. It's an existence tax, if you like, another existence tax. And this one is for your living tax. If you live, then you give off carbon dioxide. Everything that's produced for you to eat, etc., will give off a, a certain amount of, of carbon in production, 
and um, and and on and on it goes. You see, you're the problem. That's how you're being trained to believe that you're the problem for weather changes and climate changes and global warming as we freeze our butts off here in Ontario with commonly 30, 40 below um, zero. And it's not, it doesn't matter. It's your fault, you see. And you're going to pay for it and pay for it. And because of that, you'd be brought into this new austerity system. Austerity, remember that, that term, austerity? Most of them have forgotten it, but the big think tanks that were set up to work on it, they haven't forgotten it. And neither have all the NGOs that are all bought and paid for and set up, in fact, and founded uh, and funded by the big foundations that are owned by the big corporate leaders of the world. Because we're run, again, uh, by systems set up under this term democracy, which includes so-called minority groups that are social activists. And it's very interesting how you see them affiliated with the United Nations and the ones that they don't, they don't want in, they certainly don't get registered the UN. But if you're for all the UN policies and agendas, which is massive big business, international big business, uh, then you, you accept all of the tenets of the United Nations uh, uh, transsexualism, transhumanism, all of these things all come into it. And uh, again, uh, austerity for everyone across the world, except for the few that have to run the world, all the bureaucrats and so on, they live awfully well as we all go down the tubes into austerity. It's quite interesting. And the manufacturers, those the big corporations that own the manufacturing, uh, the, the guys who own monopoly manufacturing, they will run the world's uh, goods and services, etc., etc. It's quite fascinating to live through it and watch it all happen. But don't fall asleep because you think that uh, you're going to have gas prices low forever. This is a, a, a geopolitical strategy. It's a social strategy. And it's also a strategy to lull you into sleep because you're really going to get hit very shortly with things you'd never imagine. Believe you me, and uh, <laughs> I will touch on some of that tonight. Now, here's one example here on the presentation of, of the same article, really, the same topic. And this one is from the National Post. And it's, it's by Rex Murphy, who's often on CBC television, giving you his little spiels. And But it doesn't go into it very deeply, so it's meant for the general population, this article. It says, plummeting gas prices are a welcome break for Canadians until a carbon tax comes along. And it says, okay, he's telling a little bit, there's a carbon tax coming. And they've been waiting for it, as you know. Been, your governments, local governments too, have signed on to this a long time ago with the United Nations and the big corporations that run the United Nations, in fact set up the United Nations. And it says, can you not just one time allow a little of the benefit to flow down and let those who most need and appreciate some small break have that break? It says, God must have loved the common man. He made so many of them. Where that quotation can authoritatively be ascribed to Abraham Lincoln or not, it it does catch the tone of the man as his persona has come to be known through the history and legend. A great part of Lincoln's appeal, both to the people of his time and to the generations that followed, was his fine-tuned aspects for the common man. His experienced understanding of and respect for the daily life of the majority of his fellow citizens. And it says... um, for Ontario, we have premiers until like governors of states in, in the U.S. It says Premier Kathleen Wynne is leaving the door open to a new tax to combat climate change just months after seeing a carbon tax was not part of the Ontario government's plan. In other words, when, when the prices were up high, and it's generally higher in Canada and elsewhere, uh, they, they couldn't really push it down, you see. So this, this is how politics work, uh, politicians work. Uh, they wait until there's a slump, that, because they knew this was coming up, this geopolitical um, uh, war to, to, to put countries out of business, with the petroleum and so on. So after winning a majority government last June, Wynne said a carbon tax was not something liberals planned to introduce, even though she wanted a new plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, the province could adopt a cap-and-trade system that lets the world the worst polluters buy credits from companies that burn less fossil fuels or impose a tax on all carbon emissions, in, including gasoline burned by automobiles. And it says, um, 
If I did not fear flutters in the yuppie uh, dovecote, I would say Abraham Lincoln had more than a little bit of Rob Ford in him. What I will say without uh, perturbation is that Lincoln loved the little guy. Despite this shower of gloom and menace that shadows each day's news, the little guy and gal, at least on our side of the globe, has been getting a small break lately. For the first time in ages, a think tank of gasoline costs less per gallon than a handful of diamonds or the cost of pimping up Neil Young's now-electric 1959 land yacht Lincoln Continental. For the first time in ages, it's possible for many people to travel, to work, uh, drive around on a weekend. I wonder where they can get their work, so that's gone too. Uh, take a driving holiday, hitch up the trailer without offering up the children and the house as collateral hostages to, to a bank before pulling up the local uh, Irvings. Both in Canada and the US, the fallen gasoline prices has worked a real miracle. Done a thing neither government nor industry had the will or means to do. It's given people who actually work for a living, those who have the low-paying jobs, the clerks and secretaries, uh, teaching assistants, fresh graduates, toiling as low or no-wage interns, taxi drivers, maintenance men, janitors, those waiting tables or cleaning, snow, fishermen and farmers, a break. De facto, the decline in the price of gasoline means a little bit of real money, finally, in the pockets of those who so very rarely have it. Well, it's not taking into account the fact that through this uh, planned uh, devaluation of your currency since the last bank crash, uh, everything's shot up in price too, uh, even your, your vegetables, etc. Things, common staples are just out of sight. But anyway, he was trying to say, for them, it's the equivalent of an accidental tax break. The oil price crisis, whatever else it may be doing, is giving a break to the one set of people all the political parties should be the most sympathetic to, and whom they laud with pieties on every occasion. So here's a time to axe out the, par- the pieties and make sure this little bonus stays with the people who need it most, and so on and so on. He says, but will it? He says, already in Ontario we're hearing from politicians, well, now's a great time to put in a carbon tax. And he says, I beg furiously to differ. These politicians and warmest campaigners have no soul. Can you not leave Lincoln's common man alone just once, please? Can you not just one time allow a little of the benefit to flow down and let those who most need and appreciate some small break have that break? Must their one parade be rained on? Now, so there's a little bit of it. So just the governments who want to put in, or people in the governments who want to put in carbon tax, you see. That's how you'd read this one here. But then you go into this article here and this goes into, this is from CBC News, and it says, uh, Ontario could see carbon tax. It says, uh, Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne made an announcement during a press conference at Queen's Park, Toronto, Tuesday, January the 6th, 2015. Wynne refused to rule out a carbon tax for Ontario on Wednesday, January 14th. Uh, it says um, that... Uh, after winning a majority government last June, Wynne said a carbon tax was not something the Liberals planned to introduce, even though she wanted a new plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The province could adopt a cap and trade. And same, same kind of thing again. When pressed today about, the following, uh, about following British Columbia's lead, British Columbia's like California. I mean, <laughs> the people with the cash uh, always tend to turn, go towards the West Coast, you see, uh, and North and South, basically Canada and the States. And uh, and that's where all the NGO leaders ought, ought to live as well. You know, it's a bit of a better climate for them all, etc. They like the warmth. It's the rest of us that pay the carbon taxes with uh, heating fuels in the winter and stuff that are going to get really stiffed with this one. Anyway, the Premier said she wasn't prepared to say what the, uh, options the province may come up with. But added Ontario must do its part as a part of a national strategy on climate change. Well, it's not national, it's international. This is Wynne said that Ontario wants to balance its desires for economic growth with the need to lower greenhouse gas emissions. Environment Minister Glenn Murray is preparing a report on the various options to put a price on carbon emissions, like they haven't all drafted up you know, years ago just waiting. Because it has been done years ago. Even how to introduce it and when to introduce it. Well, there's going to be a price war shortly as we put countries out of business that produce gasoline. Uh, and then once the monopolies have taken it all over, uh, we can jack it up. But in the meantime, we can we can slap my carbon because the general public will say, "Wow, well, what's ten cents a litre on a, for a, for a tax?" You see, when it's gone so well, it's cheaper than it was, and then once they bring it back up to normal, plus the tax on top, then the tax will expand once it's on the books every year, and uh, you're screwed again. That's reality. That's reality, folks. So. That's what's going on now. Here's the thing now. There's an organization, I've read that this years ago when it's set up, 2006 and 7 and so on, 
and it says the Western Climate Initiative. I've, I've said so many times in the past uh, that uh, non-governmental organizations are recognized as the new type of democracy. Uh, back in the early 1900s, when they talked about bringing real democracy in the countries in Europe and, and Britain, uh, a lot of very good minds at the time said uh, that democracy, the way it's laid out, would only apply eventually to those with the most voice. And the most voice would be comprised of lots of citizens. That wouldn't be the general population. It would be special non-governmental organizations that have the numbers of activists that are always pushing. And they will de facto represent the general public because the general public uh, say nothing, you see. They're They're the silent majority. That's how the the Soviet Union was set up. The Soviet Union had NGOs, non-governmental organizations, but with a government-appointed leader. Now, we have the same thing here, but they don't tell you the leaders are appointed appointed by the big corporate foundations who train them and set them up to start up the organization to give the appearance that they're speaking for the people or a union or whatever it happens to be as it was in the Soviet Union. And... There's good reasons why it's the same, because it worked in the Soviet Union. But anyway, this is Western Climate Initiative, it's called, and this is from February 2007. And it says it was started in February 2007 by the governors of five Western states in Arizona, California, uh, New Mexico, Oregon, and uh, I think it was Washington, with a goal of developing a multi-sector market-based program to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Right, And the governors simply signed on to this like a policy, not as a law. And it's all from the United Nations. And it says, anyway, it was started February 2000, and it says, um, to evaluate and implement ways to reduce their state's emissions of greenhouse gases and achieve related co-benefits. These states and future participants initiative, collectively known as WCI Partners, are committed to set an overall regional goal to reduce emissions set in August 2007 as 15% below 2005 emission levels by 2020. Participate in a cross-border greenhouse gas registry to consistently measure and track emissions and adopt clean tailpipe standards for passenger vehicles. By July 2008, the initiative had explained or expanded to include two more states, as Utah and I think Minnesota, I'm not sure, quite sure, and four Canadian provinces, British Columbia, uh, I, think, um, uh, I think Manitoba, Ontario and Quebec, together with WCI partners comprise 20% of US GDP and 76% of Canadian GDP. This is the most ambitious and controversial objective of the WCI was to develop a multi-sector market-based program to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Detailed design recommendations for a regional cap-and-trade program to reduce greenhouse gas emissions uh, were released by the WCI in September 2008 and July 2010. By December 2011, California and Quebec adopted regulations based on these recommendations. Now, what is it set up in anybody's charter that allows, say, a Canadian province and a state in the U.S., to adopt policy that affects all other citizens. And no one's stopped this or complained about it because, you see, you really don't have nations. You've got to keep thinking you do have a nation until world government is eventually announced way down the road. Maybe not maybe that far off now. It might just do it after the next big massive crash, which is planned to bring in the new system, complete new system of utter slavery. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, obvious slavery. Obviously, a few actually. Most people won't notice it is because they'll be here to save you and so on, bringing a new system and way of living in as you're registered and, and monitored and guided from birth to death. That's really what it's about, folks. Now, this goes on to say this the WCI has no regulatory authority of its own. Key administrative aspects of the regional cap and trade program are being implemented in 2012. So it's got no regulatory authority of its own. I can only put this forth as somewhat a suggestion. Meanwhile, they've got all the limits per year, how much to get reduced per year, way into the future. Huh? 
and it gets implemented, just signed into law or something by governments? Why is this all over the news all the time? In detail, why don't they have specials on this for the people? Because they don't want the people to really understand it. That's why. But it says here, the key administrative aspects of the regional cap and trade program are being implemented in 2012. Power plants, refineries, here you go, and other large emitters must comply with the cap in 2013. Other greenhouse gas emission sources, such as suppliers of transportation fuels, must comply with the cap beginning in 2015. I mean, it's just quite a coincidence. You're just into 2015, and what's getting hit, eh? Your fuel, that's going down, and that's when they're going to implement the carbon tax. Amongst other things, the Western Climate Initiative lays the foundation for a North American cap and trade system. That's the Al Gore project and the Rothschild projects and so on, where, where really the carbons are, tax are going to collect and go through the Rothschild private bank in Switzerland. And the new, um, uh, part of the new economy, of course, is the fact that these big corporations will go through Al Gore's company and other companies like that. Uh, and swap all their carbon credits, etc., etc. I make profits off of it while you pay for it all. It's quite something, isn't it? See, many of these big corporations actually have deals. They have deals with all your governments. The United Nations actually made a little loophole as they, as they told the, the countries to, well, told the countries, uh, they were told that the countries were set all these national parks aside. But big corporations will have drilling rights and, and uh, prospecting rights in these places. So they get given these massive tracts of land for nothing that they can speculate on and let, let sit for a while and then put that down as a carbon sink. It costs, it costs them nothing to get it. But when it comes to their tax time, they can put down... Uh, what they claim, that's that's much carbon that's sinking in, uh, etc., uh, and, and changing uh, from from anti-oxygen and all that by the plants and, and the vegetation. And and if they say it's more, more actually, if it's actually producing more uh, or cleaning the air more than what it's, what it's taking in, they actually tell you, they actually claim money from the government to tax them and make a profit on it. You know, you understand that the ordinary folk never win here. It's not meant that you win. If you think they're, they're ultra-rich or ultra-rich right now, just wait a year or two. Well, it's, it's really the thing's under full steam here. You wait and see. And you watch the rest of us all plummet down to what it's meant to be for the managed society. But it says, um, and the Climate Initiative lays a foundation for a North American country problem. Not only in its design and implementation, but its potential acceptance of greenhouse gas emissions offsets from projects across North America. Some observers described the entire project as greenwash, designed to avoid committing to the Kyoto Protocol, and cited evidence that much more drastic cuts, up to 40%, could be achieved without affecting investment yield and equities. A good indicator that such cuts would not affect economic prospects and the economy as a whole. Some watchdogs expressed concern over where that WCI was set up in the state of Delaware as an anonymous shell company that would evade public scrutiny, etc., etc. And the CEO of CARB, CERB, James Goldstein, also listed as the chairman of the, of the board of the WCI Inc., naturally, and the head of the auction oversight group. And it gives you a link to that, too, for the auctioning and, and trading of, uh, of these uh, carbon credits, etc., <laughs> Several U.S. partners, although active participants in the design of the program, announced in 2010 that they would either delay or not implement the program in their jurisdictions. The partnership was therefore streamlined to include only California and the four Canadian provinces actively working to implement the program. As of January 2012, regulations have not been issued by the British Columbia, Manitoba or Ontario, although carbon tax in British Columbia will be increasing to $30 a tonne of CO2 equivalents. I, love it. I mean, really, it's not nothing, but uh, uh, they transpose it into something else. Equivalents, you see. All this nothing in a nothing equivalents. Several WCI partners also remain active in the International Carbon Action Partnership, an international coordinating body for several such regional carbon trading bodies. But it all comes under the United Nations. And um, as this expands... And once you've all accepted it, you see, and it's normalized, it's just all, it's always been there like gravity. Uh, they'll expand it to include so many other things, but it also include energy. The energy that, that was used uh, to make that bar of chocolate, the wrapper, everything, 
and down to a tax on you personally as well. Your heating, of course, is going to go through the roof if you can manage to heat at all. And, of course, the monopolies will say it's going to be their gas or it's going to be their oil or whatever sanctioned thing by the government that will approve it because they're all bought and paid for. And uh, there'll be no competition of any kind. There'll be big prices and you'll be really into poverty. But the big corporations, because they can give you less and charge more, just like electricity right now, uh, won't lose a thing. They'll profit as they actually give you less and less and less. So... They've gone about uh, several U.S. partners, although active participants designing the program announced that they would either delay or not implement the program in their jurisdictions. The partnership was therefore streamlined to include only California and the four Korean provinces, etc. Uh, as of January 2012, regulations have not been issued by, and it tells you the ones there too. This is Alberta and Saskatchewan objected cap and trade and in July 2008 called WCI plan a cash grab by some of Canada's resource poor provinces. No, it's not. It's a global thing, this. However, Alberta has legislated a small restricted carbon charge of its own. The objections seem to be more related to the reporting and disclosure requirements that would be much higher for a North American project than for one based strictly in Alberta. Monitoring of the carbon-intensive tar sands, for instance, is inadequate according even to Alberta's own government. Industry funding to other independent monitoring was also cut. Well, I should t- toss it out, because this is, this is all part of a big world agenda that isn't just to do with profit and taking over total monopoly. It's to bring you into a completely new way of living and bring you into austerity, folks. Because this is everything that you have to buy to live, your basics, everything, is going to have an energy carbon tax applied to it. And it's, it's just monstrous what's happening. This is a big social agenda for control. Now, this uh, other article on the same thing, Western Climate Initiative, Inc. This is, because it's an Inc., it's a corporation. It's a non-profit corporation formed to provide administrative and technical services to support the implementation of state and provincial greenhouse gas emissions trading program. So here you are, non, non-governmental, so then. The board of directors for WCI, Inc. includes officials from the provinces of Quebec and British Columbia. Now, is that why they were put in these officials? Of course it wasn't. And to the public object, you're darn right they should object. This is in the state of California. The services provided by WCI services eh, can be expanded to support jurisdictions that join in the future. And... Part of their agenda is it says to develop a compliance tracking system that tracks both allowances and offset certificates, administer allowance auctions, that's the current credits, and conduct market monitoring of allowing auctions and allowance and offset certificate trading. It's to do with cash for all these guys. So it says the board director of the Western Climate Initiative is pleased to announce that Greg Tamblin has been retained as the organization's executive director. Remember, they have CEOs for these NGOs and everything, folks. Like any other corporation. Mr. Tramblin has over 10 years' experience developing and managing renewable energy and environmental programs. As, by the way, I was just thinking there, if you've read uh, some of the, uh, the top magnets of the world and how they got their money, uh, they're all gangsters to start with until they became respectable in the second generation by going to the best universities and, and with all that loot they've got. You'll find... Uh, that, uh, for instance, the Rockefellers, when the, when the three brothers were into government and private companies, they ran the military-industrial complex, a good part of it. They, they, had, they put their own boys from their own foundation into governments all over the place in all different branches, including um, uh, the, the military operation, uh, parts that deal with military, the State Department, all that kind of thing, had all got their start at Rockefeller. And they're all getting retainers, too, quietly issued to them to make sure that... that the strategies of a, of a private family were being carried out nationally and internationally via the government, including wars. And when that was all getting found out, they decided to start creating all the NGOs, non-governmental organisations, make it appear uh, that they're not related to any of these big corporate, these, these big foundations. Uh, they're really from the general populace. They were concerned. That's how they do it. It's worked awfully well. And so the, the right wing think that all these NGOs are communist and all, you know, hip, all, old hippies and things, you see. Rather than the fact that it's 
it's big corporations that own them, big foundations are the fronts for the corporations. And they're really bringing in a fascist system under the guise of, of, of fighting big business. What a joke, eh? Isn't that beautiful, the strategy of it all, isn't it? And folk fall for this. As I say, otherwise you'd know, oh, this is another Rockefeller agenda, or another, name one of the big families who run the countries. It's a great cover for them all to get what they want. Because these families, by the way, are not independent of each other. They all belong to certain, let's just call them clubs. Put it that way. But it says that... um, Mr. Trambling comes to WCI, Inc., from the Renewable Energy Institute International, where he served as Executive Director 2007-14 as Executive Director at REII. Mr. Tremblin was responsible for managing renewable energy projects and the day-to-day operations of the organization. Prior to his appointment, Mr. Tramblin worked on various environmental and renewable energy projects throughout the United States. WCI Inc. was formed in November 2011 as a non-profit corporation to provide coordinated administration or administrative and technical support to state and provincial greenhouse gas emissions trading programs. I mean, even that whole greenhouse gas thing is baloney. But you see, the more they say it and speak it into existence, the more folk think it's all real. Without the normal greenhouse gases, folks, we'd be no planet at all. We'd all be dead. It protects us from ultraviolet and radiation and so on. And the CO2 they jumped on is one of the smallest trace gases there is in it. And it's got to be there for plants to grow. But facts don't matter. Anyway, this guy who's in charge of this non-governmental, this non-profit organization, so... Is $130,000, you see. Yep. That's what he got in 2014. That's not including his massive expense accounts. I'm sure some of his dinners will be about five grand, ten grand each. But anyway, uh, this is the, the reality, folks. We're run by what appear to be um, do-gooders, you see. Do-gooders that you don't elect. We don't elect any of them. And for some reason, they just simply have the ear of governments. They can put things forth that get signed into law by what you think are your governments. And I see how you think are your governments. It's quite something. Quite something, folks. And that's how we really run. Uh, Joe Blow, the common man, as Rex Murphy said, honestly hasn't told a fraction of the information he should know on how things actually work and what things really are that are getting presented in the newspapers never mentioning world agendas or anything else, or these private corporations and private non-governmental organizations that, that uh, have their top CEO leaders all funded and put forth by private foundations owned by the same guys who own the military industrial complexes. Tax-free foundations, by the way, who are there to help the world, you know, and poor folks across the planet, and to run the world properly, you know, manage it properly like the pharaohs managed their slaves in Egypt. Now, it's quite interesting to see how most folk, the so-called silent majority, most folk want to follow. Uh, They will obey rules and regulations. Uh, They have lots of entertainment to escape into as things get worse and worse and worse. And down through history, it's always been smaller groups, naturally, who made changes. Some for better, some for worse. It all depends on what happened and how you look upon it, too. But we've had small groups, really, uh, running the world for a while uh, of the ultra ultra rich and they're getting more and more rich all the time more and more powerful all the time and now they have their thousands across the world of non-governmental organizations as fronts to push their agenda through of course that uh, take control of everything because the old socialist idea was to have an expertly run society and socialism believe you me was funded by the extreme right wing of, of the era, the real capitalists who thought if they could force people to do and buy and so on, live the way they wanted them to do, uh, then apart from getting awfully rich, if you were supplying all the, 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 the authorized materials, etc., and goods, uh, then you could also uh, govern their whole lives into a more uniform, standardized society. Now, we are in the age of the control freak. This is, this is the, where it's all coming down to, of course. 
In some countries, they monitor children uh, two or three months after birth, like Scotland, where they give you a, a GERFEC, a state-authorized guardian, you might say, because parents aren't guardians anymore. The state is supreme, and that guardian will do make sure that that child gets their eventually monthly psychological evaluations to find out their views about things. And if they have find something wrong, they'll either drug them or tweak them with one way or another to get them back on track into the official approved, officially approved program of thought, you see. Because thought control is a big part of, of, of most of it, in fact, thought control. Independent thinking is really frowned upon by those with this very old and very well-organized agenda that encompasses every part of living. Believe you me, it's not just to do with uh, pollution. But it says from this article here, it's a very good, very good article. It says, all over America, government officials are cracking down on preppers. Now, preppers in the States, as you know, and elsewhere, are folk who try to live independently. Uh, many of them, in fact, started off as New Agers and thought they'd, they'd, they'd get off the grid and things like that and be self-sufficient to a dream, a dream that's very, very old, because at one time, very long ago, we were all individual survivalists trying to live from day to day, hunter-gatherers, etc. And um, it's all changing today, because you cannot be independent. You must, you must need the state, which is a front for the big corporations who rule the world, the, the, the state must uh, tell you what to do, what to buy, and how to live, and all the rest of it from birth to death. That literally is it, the, the planned society. So it says, all of America government officials are cracking down on preppers. And this is, uh, this is uh, by Michael Schneider, January 8th, 2015. Why would the government want to punish people that just try, try to work hard, become more self-sufficient, and take care of their families? There are approximately 3 million preppers in the U.S. today, and often they appear to be singled out for punishment by bureaucratic control freaks, as all the agencies have got now, that are horrified at the thought that there are families out there that actually want to try to become less dependent on the system. And actually, they use these, these families in, in news articles as they attack them with SWAT teams and things like that to terrify the rest into compliance. That's how it works, you see. But it says... So if you use alternative meetings to, methods to heat your home, or if you're not connected to the utility grid, or you, if you collect rainwater on your property, or if you believe that parents should have the ultimate say when it comes to health decisions for their children, you could become a target for overzealous government enforcers. Once upon a time, America was the land of the free and the brave, uh, but now we're being transformed, transformed into a socialist police state. We control freak bureaucrats who use millions of laws, rules, and regulations to crack down on anyone that dares to think for themselves. For example, people have been burning wood to heat their homes since the country began, and this is still very common in rural areas. But the Obama administration doesn't like this at all. Again, forget forget the front man they put in, folks. This is an inter, this is an ongoing intergenerational agenda. You see, politics is a farce. You think Obama's making decisions? I tell you, none of them can make decisions because they're not allowed to. Their bosses above them make decisions all for them. But the Obama bureaucrats of the EPA fear that our little wood stoves may be contributing to global warming, so they've outlawed the production and sale of 80% of the wood stoves that are currently in use. The following comes from a recent Forbes article. It seems that even wood isn't green or renewable enough anymore. The EPA has recently banned the production and sale of 80% of America's current wood-burning stoves, the oldest heating method known to mankind and mainstay of rural homes and many of our nation's poorest residents. The agency's stringent one-size-fits-all rules are, apply equally to heavily air-polluted cities and far cleaner, plus typically cooler, colder off-grid wilderness areas such as large regions of Alaska and the American West. So there's no exemptions no matter where you live. And again, that's to get folk to move too, because believe you me, they've got the whole, the whole future mapped. The EPA's most recent regulations aren't altogether new. Their impacts will nonetheless be severe, whereas restrictions had previously banned wood-burning stoves that didn't limit fine airborne particle emissions to 15 micrograms per cubic meter of air. The change will impose a maximum of 12 micrograms limits. 
To put the amount in the context, EP estimates that secondhand tobacco smoke in a closed uh, car can expose a person to 3,000 to 4,000 micrograms of particulate per cubic metre. So they want it down to to 12 micrograms. Most wood stoves that warm cabins and home residents from coast to coast can't meet the standard. Older stoves that don't cannot be turned in for updated types, but instead must be rendered inoperable, destroyed or recycled as scrap metal. And I read that the last week before from a different article to the down to 12 microgram limit. It says, uh, which makes it impossible, you see. It says there are other preppers that try to use very clean methods to power their homes, but this is still not enough, good enough for some government control freaks. For example, one prepper down in South Florida had gone off the grid and was recently ordered by a court to connect back to the grid or face eviction from his home. The following is an excerpt from a recent article by uh, Giles Hendrick, it says. It says, think you're still free to make choices in your life? Do you think the government will allow you to live independent of their utility monopolies? If you think so, try opting for a new boat, non-grid-tied power and utilise environmentally friendly uh, composting toilets and your own self-sufficient water supply. Today, those life choices could land you in jail if you live in South Florida. Take the case of Robin Spironis. Robin Spironis has lived off the grid independent of the city's water and electric system. A Florida court ruled this off-the-grid living illegal last week and has given Robin until March to connect her home to a municipal water line or face possible eviction. Further officials in the city of Cape Coral have justified this by deeming Robin's home unsanitary, citing the International Property Maintenance Code. So there you go, International Property Maintenance Code. Again, the United Nations. No one gets to vote for the United Nations, but they're ruining their lives. Is a front again for the big foundations, which are just a front really for the agendas that the big uh, international feudal overlords of corporate international corporations uh, sink uh, their, their tax money. In other words, tax-free these foundations because they're they're helping you. They're making social changes, you see. So they don't get taxed for it. So they can sink all their money in there. Whereas the U.S. Constitution doesn't provide for international jurisdiction over local codes. Ironically, this international code mandates the, that homes be connected to an electricity grid and running water source, even though most of the world lives without reliable electricity and municipal water and sewer. Further, the code is outdated and obsolete because it was written without consideration to both old and new technologies that relegate the need for grid-tied power and municipal water as unnecessary and expensive, especially in locations where it simply isn't feasible to have grid-tied utilities. Nonetheless, uh, Speronis' home does in fact have power and water, uh, though far cheaper and more environmentally friendly means, uh, solar panels and rainwater, but that reality is ignored by the local government. Incredibly, most American citizens seem to believe that we live in a free country, but we don't. Our lives are very tightly constrained by literally millions of laws, rules and regulations, and more are being added every single day. Even some of our most basic fundamental rights have been seriously ended. One of these is the right to make basic health decisions for our own children. And New York State children that have not received all of their designated vaccines can now be banned from attending public school. And this requirement was recently upheld by a federal appeals court. And it says New York State requirement that children be vaccinated before attending public school does not violate their constitutional rights, a federal appeals court in Manhattan said Wednesday. In affirming the requirements of constitutionality, a three-judge panel of the Second and U.S. Circuit's Court of Appeals also upheld the previous ruling by a federal judge that students be exempted from the requirements for religious reasons can be banned from school when another child has a disease preventable by a vaccine. The decision was the latest to go against three parents from New York City who say their religious rights were violated when the children were kept out of school. As a result of the immunization policies, the parents' lawyer, Patricia Finn, said her clients plan to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. So are we free to do without government interference these days? Not much. In fact, in some states we can't even sit on our own land and collect rainwater as it falls from the sky for our own personal use. If you do this in the state of Oregon, for example, you could go to prison. And here's an example, Gary Harrington the Oregon man convicted of collecting rainwater and snow runoff on his rural property 
surrendered Wednesday morning to begin serving his 30-day jail sentence in Medford, Oregon. He says, I'm sacrificing my liberty so we can stand up as a country and stand for our liberty, Harrington told a small crowd of people gathered outside of the Jackson County, Oregon jail. Several people held signs that showed support for Harrington as he was taken inside the jail. And of course, these are just a few examples. Almost every single day, there are more stories in the news about government bureaucrats cracking down on preppers. They almost seem to relish the opportunity to go after the non-conformists. Well, as they do, that's what they're told to do. But the good news is that the number of Americans that are seeking to become less dependent on the system just continues to grow. And then they go on about, how about you, or your prepper, and so on, and so on, and so on. So, really, folks, um, it's an ongoing agenda. They're never going to stop at the top. They have what they call uh, the force of the law. And they also know for a fact that many folk, say the silent majority who live in certain areas, uh, will simply move. They'll migrate to the, the thronged cities. They'll go on the, uh, the, the city's power supply because they're, they're getting taxed off their land uh, and, and persecuted, of course. Or they can't burn their stoves so they, they, and they can't get oil up yonder with wherever, whoever they live in the rural areas or it's awfully expensive, uh, uh, more, more expensive, and they move to the cities and then they'll start taking public transportation. So it's all been thought out years ago how to get everyone to do what you want them to do from the top. And that's what the think tanks work on, of course. They do all these computer studies too and simulations and they can get pretty accurate accounts of many will actually move en masse, how long it will take them, the different classes that will move first, second and third and so on, and, and so on and so on. So you're living in a planned society already, Nothing to do with democracy, nothing whatsoever to do with democracy. And the, 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 the appearance of democracy should not include uh, specialized non-governmental organizations that no one gets a chance to vote into anything. Never mind make decisions for them that affect their very life, living itself, life itself. Shouldn't be allowed. But again, your mainstream, which is all again part of the corporate elite, is just the promoter for all of that kind of stuff, of course. And so is the general media as well. Because they don't tell any citizen, they don't, don't do specials on all of this. They don't give airtime for someone with a counter uh, to uh, the agendas, with, with a different viewpoint and so on, under the Fair Policies Act, etc. They only give it to the ones who are authorized to, to come on and go against you. But, but you can't go against them. So and that's the technique that's used in this world today. And it was well thought out a long, long time ago, folks. Long time ago. Uh, as I say, that the think tanks work on, work on these, these policies daily. Daily. Full time, full, thousands of folks sometimes just in one big think tank, you know. They also use university studies and all these things, just ongoing, 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 to see how the, the cattle are responding and different sectors of the cattle are responding, and how to get the rest of the cattle to respond and, and do the right thing, uh, which is to do what you're told. Now I've talked many times about the techniques that are used to take your rights away, and uh, collective punishment. If one person does thing or something in our nation, then you punish them all. But it's always for a bigger agenda that they won't tell the public. And, of course, we know that the whole agenda before 9-11 happened was all written in the books and the step-by-step process of all the things they wanted to do but would need little excuses to, to push and push and push and take more rights from the public. And it's ongoing. And with the shootings in, in Paris, etc., that's been a big part of it. The stuff that I'm going to read really has been on the books for a long time because the, I can remember before 9-11 happened, when there were Arctic, there were uh, documentaries on Canadian television uh, with the top security people at the time and uh, the agencies at the time. With some, I think, they'd been over to Israel and they were working with the Israeli um, special forces and, and officials on security and coming terror and all the rest of it. And, and some of these guys, when they were talking, these Canadian guys in charge of the agencies, you, you talk about fascist. Oh, oh. I've been put the, like, the guys around uh, fascist governments in the past to shame, really. But this article here is from RT, and it says, uh, Prime Minister David Cameron of Britain may block, block encrypted messaging platforms, Snapchat and WhatsApp, if the Conservatives win May's uh, general election. 
as part of the party's agenda to bolster surveillance powers following last week's terror attacks in Paris. It doesn't matter who's in, folks. It's such a joke even having a party in Britain now, because they're all the same. Uh, literally. And it says, during a meeting with Britain's security chiefs, the Prime Minister pledged to halt the use of communications platforms that can withstand snooping from security services who are in possession of a warrant. Well, it won't matter. They've been doing it all along without warrants, as we all know. Eh? We all know this. Such software applications focus on popular messaging and social networking apps that deploy encryption techniques to protect users' data. The WhatsApp, Apple, iMessage and FaceTime, which encrypt information in this manner, could all be targeted by the Conservatives' proposed policies. Cameron also pledged to revive the Tories' much-criticised Snoopers' charter to aid security officials in monitoring online activity. In other words, literally, we were as well just, um, I wish the governments would just pay for computers and iPhones and all the rest of it, right? But they call it personal computer. Me, you think it's yours. It's yours. If they force you to get it, you'd be suspicious. But because it came out as a personal computer, like yours, and it really pushed all oh, your private information, all oh, private. It was all a, a lie from the beginning. Everything was worked out long before you, they, they decided to give you the computer. Anyway, as is in April 2014, the European Court of Justice ruled against the introduction of the Snoopers Charter warning it would culminate in privacy rights violations. The court outlined a more moderate data retention program that would aid criminal investigations. But in early July, it emerged that government was seeking to push through emergency legislation which would flout the court's judgment and re-legislate for the blanket retention of data. They've always done this. So. The Snoopers Charter subsequently caused a rift in government. However, after it was blocked by Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg on the grounds that posed a risk to civil liberties. Then they go through the usual stuff, but the fact is, it was planned a long time ago, step by step. And again, you also get the same thing from RT. I am not bothered with civil liberties stuff for terror suspects, is Boris Johnson, the Mayor of London. And he's quite a character in a family history. He's got two, by the way. In fact, he's, I think it was a granddad and great granddad were members of the Milner Group for causing revolutions abroad. Anyway, it says London Mayor Boris Johnson said he's not bothered with civil liberties when it comes to terrorism suspects while he attended a vigil in Trafalgar Square in solidarity with 17 folk that lost their lives in terrorist attacks in Paris. He said, I'm not interested in civil liberties stuff when it comes to these people's emails and mobile phone conversations. If they're a threat to our society, then I want them properly listened to. Well, this is to, to, to make sure that, that we're all even more listened to. Uh, that, that's all. In more detail, in other words. He argued that security services should be able to monitor the emails and phone calls of anyone who posed a threat to Britain. Now, there's a, there's a broad term, a threat to Britain. If it's a threat to the agenda, give a person with a different point of view, that's all, a point of view, as they keep expanding what they mean by something. It's like terrorism. They keep expanding the meaning of it to include so many things, especially any opposition of the mind, you see. And um, so the government is pushing for communications data bill to be reintroduced, which would give the security and intelligence services greater power to monitor terrorists. They're all getting in the act, and of course, as we all know. And this article says, surrounded by surveillance from computer, computer world, this one is from, is everything spying on you. Depending upon who you listen to, GPS tracking shouldn't be your only concern when you're out and about on the streets. The ACLU hammered license plate scanners is logging our every move. A different investigative report concluded your car is spying on you, and some even claim the street lights are out to get you. <laughs> It says, this CLU reported on the widespread tracking of citizens' movements via the use of automatic uh, license plate readers. It's now become clear that this technology, if we do not limit its use, will result in a significant step towards the creation of a surveillance society in the U.S. Well, it's already here, folks. And this is from 2011, by the way. This article here. And it says, this still doesn't across regard GPS tracking without a warrant. It's intrusive on privacy, but license plate reader technology is rapidly approaching the point where it could be used to reconstruct the entire movements of any individual vehicle. Well, we know the little boxes and so on in the GPS. They've been tracking you for years, actually. And right down to your speed and, and on the roads that you're on and so on. And in other roads that you're on as well. Things like that. And then it talks about what we already knew that we're using before they, 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 they ever broke into the media. It's extremely smart street lamps and tele-street systems, another tech which 
coming under heavy fire as many of its critics claim, is Big Brother tracking your every move? ABC7 News reported, in each lighting fixture or each lighting pole, there's processors very much like an iPhone, uh, and it takes inputs and outputs and talks back and forth. And the poles actually talk to each other. That's not all, because when you step into view of the streetlights, there's a camera that spots you, and it can even take your picture. The system is also capable of recording conversations, making critics cry invasion of privacy. After lighting contractor illuminating concepts, this is a company took a great deal of heat over its IntelliStreet street system. It responded with big brother or big idea, question mark. These crying, those crying fell over IntelliStreet lighting, security information systems seem to have two consistent qualities. They know little if nothing about the overwhelming merits of a potentially life-saving technology and everything they ever learned, they learned from the Big Brother movies. The company said the grant money came from the Department of Energy, not the Department of Homeland Security. Well, the Department of Energy is also part of the military-industrial complex. That's the guys that own it. Since IntelliSystems are energy-efficient, in its fullest form, so it's intelligent. So okay, it's energy efficient. So, so that means it's okay, right? <laughs> it's, no, it's no argument at all. In its fullest form, IntelliStreet also includes the collection and reporting of information immediately and completely, so that first responders, police, fire, and EMS, was there to help you. You see, that's why it's there, folks. You see, they're just thinking about you. They're always thinking about us, our poor, the poor souls. We're all helpless. You see, so. It says, yet the Center for Democracy and Technology, CDT, has long warned about the dangers lurking in digital signage ads with eyes. That's what's called ads with eyes. As it continues to grow smarter and more interactive, the World Privacy Forum PDF, included here, by the way, I'll put it up tonight, warned that digital signage systems fitted with sensors, cameras, and facial recognition systems for delivery of targeted advertising risk creating a one-way mirror society. There's electronic data everywhere touching nearly every aspect of life, and digital evidence may be the star witness in a criminal case. MSNBC was talking about when it comes to your car, collecting evidence via a vehicle, it says event data record, that's what they call it, which is like a black box in a plane which then witnesses against you. Yet others say that e-evidence might just as easily create an unshakable alibi. And they go through different things about wire texting and so on, or war texting, etc., etc. It says the Nissan Leaf secretly leaks your location and your speed to websites. So some vehicles are way ahead of others, of course, with, with the ability for more information that is given to whoever is collecting at the other end. And there are cars with an IP address like the Chevrolet Volt, which could potentially be vulnerable to client side attacks. It said uh, SO, uh, SNO's soft research delved into hacking your car for fun and profit. Another link there, which pointed out it's not really that difficult to program a car to kill a driver. Uh, that's very true. The intelligence services have been doing this for years. It's all uh, uh, how you view things and perhaps your paranoia level, let's say. So what you're living through, folks, is an incredible agenda, which leads into social control. Incredible, and, and, and nothing has been missed in, in the day-to-day living of every single type of, I mean type, personality type of individual. And it's to get worse and worse and worse until the totally controlled society where you'll have no say in anything if they accuse you of anything, thought crime, whatever crime it happens to be, all the new crimes are creating and uh, you, you have no alibi at all because somewhere or another, uh, some cameras got a picture that could be evaluated as, as you doing this or doing that, or it could be you putting something in the trash, who knows. But it, it, this is the life they're bringing in for you under the guise of keeping you safe. I mean, there's nothing government will tell you that's ever true. I really mean that. Anything they tell you, they might tell you in a roundabout way what they're going to do. They give a totally different reason why they're going to, but they won't tell you all of it, what they're going to do in one particular area, or the real whys and the consequences to it all. That that's what they, that's why public relations are for. And every department in government has public relations, and they hand out things to the press 
to make sure that we get the perception about whoever topic it is that we're supposed to believe. Every company has the proliferations, whole departments of them, who sit and psychologically evaluate how to push them across to con the public. Police forces all have them too. Public relations officers. People who spin truth, make it more palatable by omission or spinning. That's the real world and that's how it really does work, folks. I've said for so long that the groups that are out there don't join the ready-made groups because many of them are set up by the opposition under the guise, we're here for you. And if you start working up for yourself, you'd have to have a whole incredible intelligence network to make sure that no one can come infiltrate it because you will get infiltrated and someone can, can take it over rather quite easily especially the one that works the hardest for you. That's what they do. I read all the different techniques about um, infiltration of the communist system during the Cold War. In America and Britain and elsewhere, there were hundreds, hundreds of front groups, front organizations. They were to all lead the culture in a, a long agenda, a thinking path and so on, and the universities into thinking in this particular way, or that way, or whatever it happened to be. And they had Christian groups and everything conned into it because they didn't come on and say, hello, we're communists and we want to change you and use you. They'd give them a good reason to help something or help somebody's or a group of people. And you say, well, that sounds good. I'll put my name down on that and help. Nothing's changed. The ones at the top know what they're doing. Who lead all these groups, they know they're well-paid and well-funded and incredible pensions and everything else. But they love to use lots of followers. Only by becoming an individual in the first place and understanding what's going on can you actually achieve anything at all. And believe you me, it won't be easy. But you have to learn to speak your mind in every situation. That doesn't mean you get into an argument. You speak your mind. You have to learn to be calm. Learn it. And don't overdo something. Just say what you know about something. Eventually it'll come down to literally persecution on, on, on across the board. But since all the organized non-governmental organizations have thousands and thousands and thousands of followers, and see the top uh, branches of them are, are all well-funded and well-paid, full-time, they even have office blocks like them. Pretending that they're, they're really speaking for the people. No, they're not. We don't elect them. We don't vote them in. Most folk don't even know who they are. But they're always, their names are always in the paper, the, the name of the groups, NGO. Just like the United Nations itself wasn't voted in by any citizen of the general population of any country. It was set up as a front organization by the same guys who already owned the banking world they owned governments, including Britain, especially Britain at that time, and had for a long time. They helped fund the whole setting up of the communist opposition because you've got, got to get two opposing forces to create social change and political change and educational change. And all during that era, as opposed to communism, it was being taught in universities across the States and Britain and elsewhere quite openly by professors brought in from the, the eastern countries. And all getting funded and, and getting passed through immigration without a problem, right in those positions, to teach the socialist doctrines through social sciences and things like that. All very effective and it worked awfully well. Only one group runs the world, one group. But as I say, you've got to claim your individuality. Be yourself, for goodness sake. Be yourself, that's all. And find out who you are, really who you are. Not the, the yes man that it takes the opinions that are downloaded to you. Do you want this one or that one? For, for every topic, they give you a left and a right. Take this, take this opinion or that one. And answers are never that quite simple. 
And the, the, the answer you give might have nothing to do with either of the ones they offer you. Individuality, when that goes, there's nothing left to save. Nothing left to save whatsoever. And it's true, the majority will... I've always said, for me personally, the main enemy I have, which is totalitarianism and those involved in it, it's also a good part of the general population that go along with it all because they don't want to know. That's why the big boys have always decided to use this thing called democracy. The majority of the public will go along with anything they're told by the leaders to have a quiet life, to think, you know, got a quiet life, so they'll let it all go. And then eventually, as the numbers increase of those who let it go, the general population, then they'll say, well, why aren't you getting this or this license or whatever it happens to be to drive or whatever? It doesn't make any difference. Or paying this fee, why aren't you doing it? The rest of them have accepted it. And, and they'll say, well, 70% of them accepted, blah, 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 therefore we're making it law. And, and that's, how, that's why democracy works for the big boys who, who use it as a con game. Sad, isn't it? But we're so well understood. And I don't give you the, the, the cheerleader rah, rah, rah thing or a show, you know, like a, like a, a wrestling show of entertainment. I just give you the, the bare facts, that's all. Because I'm not selling anything. I have books there, and that's about it. I'm not selling all kinds of products. This is not a business. If I wanted a big business, I would have one. And I'd put on the show. And I'd sell you all kinds of gimmickry. And my job here isn't to to terrify you. It's to lay on the line, folks. Because really, personal responsibility comes into all of this. It's always personal responsibility. Because what you say to others, and what you say to your family members, what you say to your children, really does matter. And they they may not agree with you now, the children especially, because they're getting a totally different indoctrination at school, and they're getting their, their values from the state, as Huxley and others said that it would happen. That was always the agenda. As you go through life and experience the difficulties of life, they'll start to identify with you. And say, well, they're right after all about this and right after all about that. That's how it is. Because whether or not uh, they liked it at the time, you planted a seed there of a different opinion, a different way of looking or perceiving things. That's what's important. This is long-term strategy. Because what's, where we are today, and all the things I've talked about tonight, were planned a long, long time ago in detail, folks. Step by step, stage by stage. And no one has the right to, to rob us of our minds. From Hamish Massard from Ontario, Canada, at where it's still freezing, 30, 40 below at nights often, because of global warming, of course. It's good night to me, your God, your gods go with you.